The gospel lesson is taken from St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyards too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing you, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the Gospel of the Lord. We continue with hymn 555, and we're singing only the first four verses. Amen. Mm-hmm. 
that God His law had given, that sinners could themselves redeem, and by their works gain heaven. The law is but a Sin held its way unceasing. The task was useless and in vain. Our guilt was ever increasing. None can remove sin's poison dawn or purify our guilt. The text for the sermon this day is taken from Matthew, the 20th chapter, which is read earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you got hired for a job. And that you got hired by your employer, and the employer said that you're going to get $200 for working this day. A 12-hour shift, $200 for that 12 hours. And so you take the job, and you begin working, and eventually the master looks and he sees that there are people out and about who are in need of a job. And so about three hours in, he goes, hires another, and he does again, Six hours in, hires another, and again at the ninth, and at the eleventh hour. So he hires all these people, and when the end of the day comes, he lines you up, and he's going to pay you right on the spot that day. You don't have to wait until the the second week of the month or whatever. Right there, he's going to give you the $200. But he starts with the first person. That person that had only been working there for one measly hour hadn't even broken a sweat yet. And they give that person, here you go, $200. And then $200 to the next one. Which, of course, you're sitting there thinking, well, okay, the first couple got $200. I've been here for 12 hours. I should get more. I've been working, I've been toiling, I've been sweating. My, f- my feet are exhausted. I should certainly get the best pay. And when he comes to you, you get the same $200 that the fir- person that only worked one hour. How would you react to that? Be a little irritated? Because notice I'm not talking about like, We're not even talking about years, we're talking about hours. So it's not long enough to determine that that one person that worked an hour has some special skill that you don't. You're not going to figure that out in an hour. 
They have, the, as far as you can tell, they have the exact same skill as you, only they did a twelfth of the work, and they got paid the same. Now, if an employer were to do that, without it, another good reason, he might have troubles keeping employees. But that is how the master of this vineyard works. That is how our master, our Lord, works. Every single Christian receives the same reward. Think of the good example from the Gospel of Luke. In the second chapter of Luke, you have Simeon. Simeon was a man of old age. He had been told that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And many believe that he was probably up in his 90s by the time that the infant Jesus was brought to him. And he said those famous words, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. So 90 some odd years, that man remained faithful to God. Now go to the opposite end of the Gospel of Luke, to the second to last chapter. When another person says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. To which Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross. Who when he was put nailed to that cross, he was not a believer. We know that because of the other gospels it is clear that at one point that thief was mocking Jesus. But somewhere along the line, the time, he, be, he turns his heart. He repents. Which, by the way, that should be a little lesson. It's never without hope for someone. Someone can convert in the last minutes. But the thing is, is that that thief on the cross, for his, two, his few hours of belief, has the exact same reward as Simeon did who had 90-some years of faith. That's how our God works. See, our God is not fair. Not fair in our eyes, and realistically not fair at all. See, he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and when he says there's neither male nor female, he's not wiping out the distinctions between men and women because I don't know about you, but I have not seen any men giving birth yet. So he has not wiped out that distinction. But he has, what he has said, when it says that there's neither male nor female, he is saying that in relationship to God, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, whether you're a, you're a slave or if you're a master, if you're a Gentile or Jew, whether you're old, you're young, you have blonde hair, you have brown hair, you have gray hair, you have blue hair, you're tall, you're short, rich, poor, no matter what, you all receive the same grace of God, the same mercy. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We don't decide that all of a sudden, ah, you know, 
this family happens to be a little bit more prestigious family, so we're going to give them a special baptism. And this family, we don't really know much about them, or we know about their kids, and we're going to give them a completely different one. No, we get, it is the same baptism regardless of where, who you are, where you come from. And it's not fair when we think about that. Sometimes we want to think, hey, look at what I've done. Look at what I do for the church. Look at all the hours I toiled and labored. In the time of Luther, that was the problems of the monasteries. The monks would be thinking, hey, we gave up everything to spend hours upon hours in the monastery. We deserve a better piece of heaven than anyone else. There's an attitude that nuns were better Christians than mothers. There was, in this day and age, we get the idea, we might get the idea that myself as a pastor, all of a sudden I get a better space in heaven. Or maybe we might get the idea of uh, maybe served as an elder or Sunday school teacher or been president of a congregation, whatever it might be, we come up with reasons why we think we deserve better. And every now and then, sometimes we get so much in that idea, people will begin to think, hey, you know what? I don't need this master. I can go get my pay all on my own. But in the parable of this vineyard, as you noticed, when, when the master went out, there was no other work to be had. His work was the only place you could go to receive that denarius. There's only one way. So if we decide to go venture out on our own, try to work on our own, try to build up our own wealth, or maybe we want to search, go out and seek out another master who might pay better. The reality is you're not going to find that master. And you are not going to be able to labor and great, create your own wealth. And instead, you'll become broke. You'll become hungry. You'll become weak, frail. You'll starve. And you'll face physical death in that type of a world. When we seek out our own salvation by our own works, by the, effort, by the usage of another God, we will starve. We will become weak. We will face eternal death. We will face the suffering and torment that is afforded to us in hell. See, that hymn that we just sang, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, it speaks quite a bit about how unfair our God is. See, the reason I intentionally only read, sang the first four verses to start is, see, this hymn is not one that people sing a lot because it's ten verses, but honestly, it's one that we should be very familiar with. The first four verses, if we ended there and decided to not re sing any more of it, it's kind of depressing. Because the last words are, or none can remove sin's poison dart, or purify our guileful heart, so deep is our corruption. The end. 
This is why it's one of those hymns we cannot sing just half of it. We cannot just sing part of it. You can't even just sing the first verse. Because what did we get saved from? What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the fact that this is how corrupt we are. How sinful our nature is. And we cannot save ourselves by our works, by our deeds, by having a better life, by having better kids. There is nothing you can do to save yourself from your condition. This hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, became the rallying, call, rallying cry of the Reformation. This is why this is the hymn for Reformation Day. Not, ironically, not a mighty fortress. Mighty fortress is actually the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Lent because it deals a lot with the temptation of the devil. But this is talking about what it means to be a Lutheran. If anybody asks, what's the difference between, why are you a Lutheran? What, does it, what do Lutherans believe? You want a short answer? Other than going straight to the catechism, which is awesome. But another way is to go to this hymn. The point, the fact that we are poor, miserable, sinful human beings. Deserving of nothing good. But this is what it says, beginning of the fifth verse. It's in 555 if you want to open up to it, because we're going to sing... We're going to sing the last few verses in a little bit anyways. Yet as the law must be fulfilled, or we must die despairing, Christ came and has God's anger stilled, our human nature sharing. He has for us the law obeyed. Hear that? When we couldn't keep the law, this one obeyed it for us. He, and thus the Father's vengeance stayed, which over us impended. So in other words, the one who did all the work, he did all the work, and yet we received the blessing. Since Christ has full atonement made and brought to us salvation, each Christian therefore may be glad and build on this foundation. The, your grace alone, dear Lord, I plead. Your death is now my life indeed. For you have paid my ransom. God is so unfair. You have life as a result of his death. Let me not doubt but truly see. Your word cannot be broken. Your call rings out, come unto me. No falsehood have you spoken. Baptized into your precious name, my faith cannot be put to shame, and I shall never perish. The law reveals the guilt of sin and makes his conscience stricken. But then the gospel enters in, the sinful soul to quicken. Come to the cross, trust Christ and live. The law no peace can ever give, no comfort and no blessing. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing. And by its fruits, true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, works serve our neighbor and supply the proof that faith is living. 
So if you're wondering if we could just live recklessly, that we could just go on sinning, right there is the answer. Our works are the evidence of our faith, but not the cause of our faith and salvation. All blessing, honor, thanks, and praise to Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who saved us by His grace, all glory to His merit. O triune God in heaven above, you have revealed your saving love, your blessed name we hallow. Such powerful words. God isn't fair. And, not, and I'm not saying this in a way of taking God's name in vain. But thank God, literally, that He isn't fair. Because He isn't fair, we have eternal life. Won by the death of Christ. Given to us in baptism. Therefore rejoice. Salvation unto you has come. In Jesus' name, Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing verses 5 through 10.